Now, we're in a brand new series today on the names of God. And this is, I think, one of the most exciting series because you're going to see these names pop up all over the Bible. And it can be such an encouraging time together in the word and when we see what God is doing. So today, we're going to follow the story of someone that uh, maybe you are familiar with his past and maybe you're not. But let me just start off with this. He killed someone. That's how his story really begins for us. We understand that he was born in a time and in a season where he really wasn't wanted. So his mother gives him up. He's adopted by a royal family. He is then not only adopted by them, he finds out that he's not part of that family, sees his true people being oppressed, and then kills their oppressor. Sounds like a hero, right? Sounds like the kind of person we'd pick to be on our team, the murderer guy who just took care of somebody that he shouldn't have, and that would be the guy that we choose. And the reason we talk about that, we're going to be in the book of Exodus today, is because a lot of us in this room do exactly what this guy did. We start to disqualify ourselves from the call of God on our life because of things that happened to us in the past. And what we're going to see today is that the names of God really tell us something about who God is and how that speaks to our need in a time. And so today, if you don't know who I'm talking about, we're talking about a guy named Moses. I, um, I have like a little connection with him. So uh, my dad grew up Jewish. And so when you're born in Judaism, you're given a Hebrew name. My Hebrew name, which was given to me is Moshe, which is Moses in Hebrew. And so we're going to study this early part of Moses's life because I know that he's famous way later and does a lot of really incredible things later on in life. But what we're going to see is his life doesn't start off so great. And he begins to run away and move away from God. In fact, he feels like he's messed up so bad that he moves to the backside of a mountain in the middle of a desert. And you go like, Blake, we live in Florida. There's no deserts here, but maybe you are in your life. Maybe you are in your job. Maybe you have moved out and moved off to a far off land in your family or in your emotions or in your mental health. Like there is probably somewhere in your life that you feel like, man, either these things happened to me or I've done these things. And so I've disqualified myself from the call of God in my life. And so, you know, it's just better if I'm away. It's better if I'm just at a far off place. And so today what I want to do is we're going to start with the very first name of God that God actually gives for himself. In the Bible, this, the name that we're going to study today we're, is going to be the name that which God introduces himself by for the very first time. And what I really want us to see is that this name, which God chose to reveal himself by in the scriptures, is all-encompassing. And when we understand what this name really means, we'll really begin to apply it to our story. Because who God is should change who we are. A lot of us want to change God to who we are. We say, this is who I am. I need to change you to who I am. That's called idol worship. But what we understand as biblical Christians is this, who God is changes who we are. And we live in a culture and a time where we want everything to start to shift the whole world, the whole vocabulary, the whole everything to shift in the world around who we are and not us understanding who the world is or or where we fit in properly. And so what happens in this story is, is this name of God is, I believe, going to change our understanding of where we are and how we've been called. 
So if you know anything about the story of Exodus, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you some spoilers. So if you don't want to know what happens, just plug your ears and say, no, 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 right now, okay? But the book of Exodus comes right on the tail end of the book of Genesis. There's been a span of time from the end of Genesis to Exodus. Here's what goes on in the story. There's a great famine in the land at the end of the book of uh, Genesis. The entire nation of Israel moves from a famine place into Egypt. They start to serve and be in Egypt. And then the book of Exodus picks up and things have changed. Not only are the Israelites in Egypt now, now they've been enslaved by the Egyptians. They they are being oppressed in on every side. It's not a great situation. And so Pharaoh, in the beginning of the book, goes, look, the Israelites are growing pretty fast. You know what? They're growing too fast. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start to kill the male babies of Israel when, when they're born. Because we, we don't want the population to grow, and we especially don't want the population of men to grow because those men could create an army, and, and they could come against us. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to eliminate these men. And so Moses' mom, she's an uh, awesome lady because she disobeys. And what she does is she has Moses, and, and the midwives have Moses, and she has so much faith that she creates a basket for Moses to be placed in, and she sends him down the river Nile, and soon he is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And when he's picked up, she brings him in as her own, and Moses is adopted into the royal family of Egypt. Now, while Moses is in this family and he has great prestige, he is living in probably the the strongest, wealthiest, most advanced country and empire in the world at the time. I mean, he's got a seat of privilege. And so what happens is, is Moses is doing well. He kind of begins to find out part of his story and what goes on. And there's a day where Moses sees a slave driver beating a Hebrew. And Moses intervenes. Moses gets involved. And what actually ends up happening is Moses kills the slave master, the slave driver. At this, Moses has now broken the law. Moses flees. He runs off into the wilderness. And for a lot of us, we go, man, I don't, I don't know if I can relate to that. There's no wilderness or there's no desert here. But a lot of us do this in our life. Like we mess up somewhere in our life. And so we totally disengage from that part of our life. We kind of tend to move on, move away, move out, get to a place where we are not going to be dealing with this part of our life anymore. And we take everything that we were called to do in our life and we forfeit it because of this mistake that happened. This is exactly what Moses does. And so for a lot of us, here's what happens. We go from kingdom to camping. That's exactly what happens to Moses. He goes from living in the kingdom Being a king, and now he's camping out in the wilderness, he's totally forfeited everything. Look at what Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 says. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There's another name for this mountain that we may be more familiar with. Another name for this mountain is Sinai. Mount Sinai. It's actually going to show up later here in this story. But I want you to notice something. Moses goes in this part of his life, in this frame of his life, Moses goes from living in a kingdom, having everything that he wants, to taking care of someone else's flock. 
Moses is so poor, so destitute in this part of the story that he doesn't even have his own flock to look after. He's looking after the flock of his father-in-law. That's how bad things got for Moses. And not only that, he's married into the family. Have you ever felt like you've messed up so much that you now don't deserve things in your life? Have you ever like thought, man, I have just messed up so much. So man, I don't really deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to do well. And so a lot of us, we feel like we're super guilty in our life. So we self-sabotage and we self-punish. That's exactly what happened to Moses here. Moses flees Egypt. He goes into the wilderness and he's not progressing at all. It's been 40 years that Moses has left Egypt and is in the wilderness. He, he, he is not able to move on. He's forfeited his call. He was supposed to be in the royal house. He was supposed to be leading this nation and helping to lead this nation. But because of everything that happened to him, he let it go. And maybe that's you in this room. Because, man, sin and things that go wrong is a thief. Because not only does it make you feel guilty, it will punish you forever. And a lot of us in this room, we become punishing to ourselves. We begin to forfeit ourselves. We actually take the seed of God in our life. And instead of like understanding, like God has forgiven you, God loves you and still has a call in your life because of who he is, not because of what you've done. We kind of take a step up and say, yeah, I know that that's your standard, but my standard's a lot higher and I really can't forgive myself. Does anyone in here ever struggle with that? I do. And so what happens here is Moses is, is in this place and notice what the Bible says. It says he goes to the far end of the wilderness. The place that Moses is living currently in the world is so dry and so destitute and so without any kind of provision that Moses has to walk for weeks to find a place for his sheep to eat. Not his sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. Moses is all alone. Moses is just a, a shepherd in this moment, leading his sheep weeks away so that they can eat. This, what the Bible's painting for you and I here is things started off well, got really bad, and God's going to need to intervene. He is living in a place both physically, spiritually, mentally of defeat, and he is in a desert. Can anybody in here relate to that feeling? Do you feel like in this room, I've messed up too bad or things have happened to me so much that, man, I can't do this. Or maybe you just made like little mistakes so you won't ever try again. For you, failure became final. And so now you're just stuck. Well, good thing is, is God chose to use a guy in the Bible that is exactly where you are. But what God is going to show is he's so much greater than this time in Moses' life. Like he's so much bigger than this. And for a lot of us in here, you have resigned yourself to the wilderness. You have said, you know what? I am in the wilderness. I'm in this dry, dark place. I, I am in this place where there seems to be no life. But you know what? I deserve to be there. And this is now where I live. And in the Bible, the wilderness, the desert is never the destination, the final destination. It's a stop off. 
In the Bible, we go through wilderness motifs all of the time. After this, how many years is Israel going to wander in the wilderness because of their sin? 40 years. Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years. How many days does Jesus go into the wilderness before he starts his public ministry? 40 days. The wilderness is always a preparation place to bring you to where God is going to have you. But a lot of us are camping out too long in the wilderness. See, because a lot of us in this room, we want new wine, right? We sing songs about it. New wine. No one ever says, but you got to crush everything to get new wine. We all want these new things produced in our life. We want these, we want all of the good without any of the pressing, but the pressing is what creates the good. I mean, there's so many analogies in the world. How do you make a diamond? Pressure and heat, right? Like, how do you make wine? Pressing. Like the, the idea here is that the wilderness is a place of pressing where you are lost of everything that you could do on your own and you have to become totally reliant on someone else. So for God, the wilderness is a pre- preparation place for you and I. And maybe you find yourself in a wilderness right now, probably somewhere in your life. Maybe your marriage is in a wilderness. There's no intimacy. You guys barely talk. It's all business. It's just getting the kids to and from. It's just making it through the day. It's a a peck on the cheek at night and you roll over and go to sleep. You're in a wilderness. Or maybe it's with your kids. It just seems like there's no connection. Or maybe it's your job. Or maybe it's your church life. Maybe it's your faith. Maybe it's your experience with God. Maybe it's just your experience of the entire world. You just feel like, man, there is no fruit, no life in this part of my life. I'm here to tell you today that that is not the final destination. According to scriptures, the wilderness is not the final destination, but are you willing to make your way out of the wilderness? Are you willing to work with God in what he's calling you to do and being obedient to what God has called you to do to make it out of that? For so many of us, because we messed up, we feel like, well, this is my home now. And I just get little slivers of hope. I get little slivers of calling. That's exactly where Moses finds himself. He's not only in the wilderness, he's on the backside of it now. On a mountain in the middle of nowhere, tending sheep that aren't even his. But the story moves on extremely quickly. Just listen to these words. I won't have them on the screen for you, but just listen to these words. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. This is an amazing moment. In fact, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, many times the presence of the Lord shows up as fire, right? In this story, when, spoiler alert, close your ears. Israel makes it out of Egypt, okay? All right, they make it out of this story. And while they are in the wilderness, there's a pillar of fire which represents the presence of God, which is leading them through the darkness of the wilderness. Isn't that an interesting motif that the presence of God is even in the driest and darkest of places? You only need to follow the presence. And so what happens is not only that, in the New Testament, how does the Holy Spirit show up in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit enters into the life of the believers as tongues of? For the Hebrew people, they would go, oh, that's a God thing. God shows up like fire a lot. And so God shows up in the midst of this story with a bush that is on fire, yet it's not consumed. 
So he's in the wilderness. Moses saw it. And though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought what most of us would think. I better go take a look at that. That's weird. That bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. So Moses thought, oh, okay, what what am I going to do here? So he goes over and he saw that the bush was on fire. So I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Everyone say Moses, Moses. When names are repeated in the Bible, it is important. Generally, not always, this is generally, what is happening here is this is a form of calling and this is a form of empathy. Where has Moses been for 40 years? In a wilderness. Physically, relationally, emotionally, he has been in a wilderness. God knows exactly Moses' story. God didn't show up and go, I'm just looking for a guy, so I went to the furthest place in the world, and there there's this dude. And, oh, then I found out he murdered someone, so I was like, maybe this isn't going to work. So what does God do immediately when he speaks to Moses? Moses, Moses. A, t- a term of calling and a term of empathy. Hey, Moses, Moses. Anyone ever seen your kids do something that's so terrible, like they put syrup all over their body, and you're just like, you, you, you feel, you're not mad, you just feel bad, right? And you're like, Jude, Jude, like, buddy, you okay? I see the mess we're in, okay? I'm going to help you. Moses, Moses, God calls out from the bush. He sees him. Moses says, here I am. Here I am. I mean, if a bush talked to me, I'd be like, here I, what? Here I am. Is that me, God? What's going on? Moses says, here I am. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. It's very similar to the song that we just sang. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is really interesting because Moses grew up in a place where pharaohs were considered gods. And for Moses, he grew up his whole life looking at gods in the face. But when he met the true God, when he really understood where he was standing, he hid his face because of how holy and righteous and awesome God is. And so God speaks out of this bush and he begins to call Moses, 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 a term of empathy. We would say that this is almost a term of restoration happening in this story. And this is what God is going to say. You're going to go from camping to now being a conqueror. You're going to go from camping to conqueror. Exodus chapter three, verse seven, it says this, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God is concerned with those people and what is happening to them in their life. So I have come down to rescue them. Does that not sound like another story in the Bible? That God sees the suffering of his people and the people of this world, and he decides to come down to rescue them. I've seen this, and and I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good 
and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Little side note. This would be really important to a guy who farms, wouldn't it? Because how do you get milk? You got to get it from animals. What do animals have to have in order to make milk? Good places to graze, great environment, a good and safe place for them to produce. And what does honey mean? What do honeys need and what do bees need to make honey? Flowers. This is what God just described to him. There's this paradise waiting for you. I know you're in the middle of this wilderness. I know that you're in this dry, dry place. I know that you had to walk for weeks to find grass, but the place that I'm going to take you is a place of milk and honey. I'm taking you, Moses, to a place of milk and honey, and I'm going to take the people there too. Has anyone ever heard a promise of God, but you didn't believe it was for you? Has anyone in here because of your past, whatever goes on in your life, there's a promise of God in your life, a land of milk and honey, which by the way is his presence. It's being with him. You go, man, that's just not for me. Like, I I like what you're saying, but it's not for me. And then he says this, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. A lot of ites up in there, right? What does that mean? There's some people in the promise that you're going to have to keep fighting for the promise. But I'm taking you to a good place. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Huh? I just thought you were letting me in on the plan, okay? I thought we were just, it's a bush talking to me. I can't even look at it. I'm so freaked out. And now you say this. So now go. Head there. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then Moses says what most of us are feeling. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Don't you know what I've done? I mean, you found me in a wilderness with no one around me. I have none of my own stuff. I don't have anybody following me. And I am in the middle of a wilderness, spiritually, physically, and mentally. Who am I that I should go? But what do we say that the wilderness was? It was a place of preparation. And some of us need to learn that unless God goes with us, it's not going to happen. Moses is in a place in his life where he's going to go from campering to conqueror, but the way he will conquer is in the name and the power of God. And when you have nothing to offer, it's much easier to follow. And for some of us in this room, you may be in a wilderness season of your life and God may be taking and removing things away from you because we need to realize we don't have anything to offer, but God will get us through it. We can have faith and rely on him because he is our physical and relational and emotional and spiritual provision and where he calls, he provides. We just need to have faith to obey. And for some of us in this room, you've had wilderness experiences and you've been let out on the other side. And although it was hard, you wouldn't trade it for anything else. Some of you are in a wilderness and I'm praying and believing that you'll get to the point where you can be thankful for the desert. Moses is in the place where he's in it. He's not thankful for it yet. God sees the problem of Israel and he decides to call a guy from a people that weren't wanted from a place that no one wants to be in with nothing to his name, no followers, and he's got a felony record. This is the guy. 
Moses. And Moses has learned enough in his life that, man, I don't really have a lot to offer to the table here. So who am I? What's interesting about what we're just about to see is that's a play on words in the text. Because the same words there, who am I, are the same words that God in another way, in another way of forming it, is going to say who he is. This is what God's going to say. I don't know who you are, but I know who I am. And if I'm calling, I'm equipping. If I'm calling, I'm providing. If I'm calling, you're going to get there. And so what happens is, is he's going to go from camping to conqueror, but he's been in the wilderness for so long. But in the wilderness, God began to produce in him something that allowed him to answer the question in almost the right way. See, some of us, like especially when you're young, I thought I was God's gift to the world when I was young. Anybody else ever been there? I thought, man, I'm kind of handsome. I'm pretty smart. I come from a good background. I grew up in Florida. I remember one day, me and my friend were in Greek class. This is where you don't want to mouth off, right? So I was in Greek class, and they were like, oh, tell us your name and where you're from. Me and my buddy Tim. We're from the same hometown. We're in this Greek class. So I, it was funny. He goes, uh, my name is Blake. I'm from Sarasota, Florida. And, uh, you know, I just gave a fun fact about Sarasota. Then my friend Tim, this is what you do when you're young. He says, hi, my name's Tim. I'm from Sarasota, Florida. I live where you vacation. <laughs> I looked at Tim and I said, I don't know what shut it is in Greek, but I would use that right now. <laughs> you didn't make any friends up in here. So what happens here is for so many of us, the story would be different when we're young, especially God would speak to us out of a bush and say, hi, I'm sending you to go to save the Israelites. And we'd be like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Look at me. Here we go. But God had prepared Moses to a place that he would listen. Because let me just tell you something. Not only does God talk out of a bush. He also turns a sea to blood. He also splits a sea. He sends locusts. He sends plagues. He blots out the moon. He blots out the light. He blots out all of these things. And you know how much faith it's going to take to walk to a God king. I'm using air quotes because he's not God, but he's a God king. And tell him what's going to happen. But Moses got to this place where he goes, you know what? I'm just cool to be part of the ride, God. I'm just excited to to be part of what you're doing. I am freaked out, but man, I have faith that you can do so much more because man, I don't have a lot to lose here. I found myself in you and that is enough for me. Look at what the Bible continues on with. Kind of, this is what Moses is saying. You and what army are gonna do this? So Moses says, who am I that I would go? Who am I that I would go? Look at what it says in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You're going to worship God in the place of your desert season. Some of us in this room have gotten there. 
You've been through a desert. You've been through a hard time in your life. And you've seen God's hand of provision. You've seen God's hand of of sustenance. You've seen his kindness and his grace. And some of us can go back to memories of the desert and we can worship God in the desert. And we can say, thanks be to God for what he did in my life and what he produced in me in that place. That's what God promises Moses. I am meeting you at the lowest point of your life. And there will be a day that you will bring the people here and everybody's going to worship on this mountain. And I'm going to turn what was a desert into a victory. Do you believe that in this room? Is this story just for Moses or is it for us? I think if this was just for Moses, it'd be in a personal letter somewhere in his grave. But this is for us. This is for us to see the God who calls, the God who provides, the God who does all of these things. And so Moses says, like, who am I? And God goes, great question. I'm with you. Notice that God doesn't cut Moses down and go, you're a nobody. God just says what? It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. And I, me, I am with you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose, suppose, suppose I say yes to this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, remember, there's a lot of gods at this time. So God is a very ambiguous term. What do you mean when you say God? We're kind of in that world today. God, what God? Who? Who? You mean like God, God, or you mean like money, sex, drugs, nationalism? What do you mean? What, what, what do you mean? What, what God? I worship a lot of things up in here. I live in a culture where people worship all kinds of gods. Could that be a word for us today? So here's what he says. He says, so say I go and they ask me, what is his name? Like this God that has sent you, the God of your fathers, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Here's the deal. Moses is so far from God and he's lived in a wilderness so long, he doesn't even know God's name. Some of you think you got to have Bible college and seminary and you got to have all the right pedigree and you have to go to church for so long. Moses hasn't been to church in 40 years. We, we create these artificial blockades to be obedient to what God has called us to do because we're afraid of what God has called us to do. And we say, man, like, well, so what's your name? Who, like, what power am I coming in? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This word in the Hebrew is a word Yahweh. I'm going to say Yahweh. This is the name at which God decides to introduce himself by in the Bible. My name is I am who I am. What does that mean? It means everything about me, all my power, all my strength, every characteristic of me is present in that name. I am who I am. You can't define who I am because I'm more than you can imagine. Like we could just choose one name and then, but it kind of puts God in a box. God's bigger than all our boxes. 
God's bigger than what we can imagine. God is bigger than all of these things. Even God, when, when Job is like, hey, what's going on here? He says like, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I did all of these things? No. So maybe I'm doing some things that you don't understand. Maybe I'm, I'm doing some things that, that are better that you don't understand. Moses is facing the biggest nation in the world at this time. And he's like, all right, God, you've called me. So like me and what army? God says, you don't need an army. You've got a king. You don't need an army. You've got a king. And this king is coming with you. And this king will provide for you. And the name of this king is I am. And everything that I am exists in that name. All my power. We're not going to put it in a box because there's things that I'm going to do in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the captivity that you can't even imagine. I am who I am. And so I'm going to ask you to have faith in everything that is about me, everything that I have. So God's character, his power goes with Moses. Have you ever thought about that? That when you go in the name of Yahweh, doesn't matter what your past is. He knew Moses' past. He knew his current predicament. He knew how big the Egyptian army was. He knew how hard this was going to be. But what Moses needed to understand and what you and I need to understand in this room is Yahweh is with you. I am who I am. I am who I am. And do you believe that every characteristic and every power that I possess is with you? That's what he says to Moses. And so what happens in this time, and for some of us, like you are facing huge things in your life. You're on the mountain of the wilderness. And you're not worshiping there yet. You're still suffering there. And you look at the mountain that is before you, you look at the past, you look at whatever it is that's like right in front of you and you look at it and you go, God, me and what army? And God says like, you don't get it. I'm doing it through you. It's me who does the work. I just need your yes. I need your faith to believe that I will pull through. And so we're gonna play this video of a sermon um, that uh, came out that it, it, some people say it's one of the greatest sermons ever preached. Okay. Um, it, it was a guy, he, uh, had a church, Lockridge is his last name. He had a church in San Diego, California. And this is an excerpt from a sermon that he preached about the King who is with us. So would you draw your attention to the screen? I wonder if you know him. Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well... No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his solar supply. Well, he's enduringly strong. He's eternally steadfast. 
He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Do you know my king? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the gateway of glory. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you know him? Well, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no there was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Yeah. Do you know him? He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of Lord. That's my king. Yeah. said it much better than I can. That's preaching right there. 
So the question for so many of us is, what do we do? Because he is, we can. His name is Yahweh. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And everything that he has and everything that he is, when we go in his name, by his power and by his strength, is with you and I. He is the God who is with us. And so if you're in this room and you have addiction, you can be free. You have anxiety, he can calm you. You have fear, he can guide you. You have anger, he can help you. You are hurt, he can heal you. You have need, he can provide for you. Your marriage is falling apart, he can rescue it. Your kids are far away. He's patiently calling them home. You are lost. He can find you in the deepest of wilderness. And if you are perishing, he can save you. The question is, do you know him? Listen to what one person said about this. The I am of the burning bush now stands fully declared in the blessed person of our Savior who said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. He is the eternal I am. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the full embodiment of God who came down from heaven to earth to rescue us. He has given all of us in this room an open invitation to know him. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord Yahweh and that he died for us and he rose again to show victory over sin and death, that we would be saved. And that there is nothing on this earth that can separate us from him. There is no wilderness that can hold you forever. There is no disqualification that he cannot overcome. There is no calling that you can revoke for he is king and he calls. And so the question for us in this room today is so simple. Do you know him? And maybe in this room you're like, yeah, I've known him, but do you believe him? There's a lot of people who know the name of God but don't believe in who he is. Do you believe in who he is? Do you really know him? Is he near to you? Do you have a relationship with him? And God so desperately wants a relationship with you that he sent a sign in the name of a son. And 2,000 years ago, he showed up on this earth in the form of a baby of no majesty, of humility. And he accomplished what none of us can. He overcame sin and death because we have slave drivers too. Addiction, pornography, you you have anger, you have hatred, you have fear, you have anxiety, you have worry. They drive you around like they own you. And God looked down on his people just like he did the Israelites and said, I see what the oppressors are doing to you, so I'm coming down to rescue you. His name is Yahweh. Do you know him? And so today as we get ready to end, I want to give all of us an opportunity to respond. 
His name is Yahweh. That's his given chosen name. The other names that we are going to study in this series all start with the word Jehovah. Jehovah is a translation of Yahweh. See, the Hebrew people got so enthralled with this that one of the Ten Commandments is what? You shall not use the Lord your God's name in vain. And so they didn't want to make a mistake because of how holy and precious this name was because it represented everything of who God was that they would not speak it. They wouldn't say it because they wanted to honor God so much. But I tell you, say it. Call on his name. Call on everything of who he is in whatever wilderness you're in right now. He can meet you on the mountain of your despair and he can give you victory. You just got to say, I am, are you here? And if you're here, I'm ready to go with you. And so would you bow your heads with me in just this time of response? And so, Lord, I pray for every single person in this room right now, Lord, that as we have studied your name, the power of your name, the prestige of your name, the holiness of your name, the goodness of your name, God, I pray for every single person in this room and listening online that, God, your name will be revealed to them. That, God, you would show yourself to them through your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and through the words that are preached and taught in this place, God, that you would become real to every single person in this room. So real that they'll be obedient to anything that you call them to, that they will say yes to some of these things and they will no longer look at the past and they will no longer look at the failures and the mistakes, but they will look forward to the victory that is in your name. And God, that we will all worship on the mountain of our despair because of the great things you've done for us. And so God, I pray for any person in this room that has not met you before, that does not know you. God, I pray right now that they would believe that you saw their oppression, you saw those who were ruling over them and you came down to rescue them. And that God, you entered in the form of this world in a man named Jesus Christ who lived the life we should have lived, who died the death we deserve to die, but rose again to show victory over sin and death. And when we confess his name, when we confess in what he did for us and we believe in our heart that the Bible says that we will be saved from our wilderness and from our despair. And so Lord, I pray for any person in this room right now that does not know your name, that does not know you, that you are calling to them right now. And God, I pray that in faith, they would believe your word and your truth and that they would respond in faith and believe what Jesus did for them and God that they would turn from their sin and they would run to you today and the words can be their own they only need to acknowledge what Jesus did for them and God I pray for every single person who called on your name a very long time ago or maybe just moments ago but somewhere along the way you became less real to us I pray today God that the joy of our salvation is restored to us, that we would walk in obedience to what you have called us to, that we would walk in obedience no matter what has happened, no matter what is going on. You are greater 
than all these things. And so, God, I pray for anybody in a wilderness right now that they would believe that they will come back to the mountain of their shame and they will worship you there for the victory is yours. And, Lord, I pray for any person in here facing a new valley that they'll remember the victories of the past. And, God, I pray just right now, God, for all of us that we would believe in your name, Yahweh. And we would trust that everything of who you are and what you can do is with us as we walk in obedience to your call. God, bless us. God, please give us the blessing of knowledge and remembrance in this room, of encouragement. And God, may we go from this place changed and may we be the ones declaring the name of the Lord to the nations, telling them of the good news that we have received and that they can receive it too. As we get ready to come back for Easter and all of these things, we're going to celebrate the greatest day in human history. And so God, I pray you bring us all back, but you help us live this week in complete victory because of your name. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.